0: Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you out uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at the book of Jude. And uh, we're going to... I'm going to uh, kind of do the time restriction. We're probably going to run through some of this, but um, we're going to hit some of the main thoughts in the book of Jude. I think there's... It's a short book, but I think there's a lot of things that we could... Uh, uh, Glean from these things a lot of a lot of things that uh, we ought to ponder and examine ourselves about And um, and so I think it's very useful for us to look at this book I don't think it's I think it's been a while since we ever since we've done any type of study of this But uh, beginning in Jude in verse 1 It says Jude a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And so in verse 3 we see also Jude, he was going to write about this common salvation uh, that they had. And so obviously I think this common salvation is this, call, this calling, the sanctification of being preserved in Christ Jesus. So this is who uh, Jude is writing to. And I just want to make a, take a few minutes to note that this common salvation that and, and, and think about what Paul writes about our condition before salvation, that we're enemies of, of Christ, that we are deserving of eternal con- condemnation, and also think about the action that's taken that's taken by God in order for us to be reconciled with him. It says here that we're called. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We read in 2 the Thessalonians chapter 2 that uh, God calls us by the gospel as well. And so this active calling that God is, that God is doing for our salvation, and we see that he's doing, time we read the gospel... And uh, we see the things that uh, for if we're not a Christian, what we need to be doing, how, what, how to obey the gospel for us that are Christians, uh, how to live like a faithful Christian, like a faithful follower of Christ. And so God calls through that gospel. God is calling through uh, his word there. Also, we see that they are sanctified by God, and so we're sanctified by God as well. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11 and remember, if some of you are probably familiar with the context here, what Paul is writing about here is not for a few verses up. He's talking about all the things that is going to condemn you to hell. And then he says, such were some, so, some are you. So you changed. This is not who you are. But it says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And this, this word sanctified means to be made holy. So you're made holy, you're made separate, you're cleansed, you're washed uh, by God. And also we see that we're preserved in Jesus as well. It's interesting in my mind the way Jude presents that. And we see in Romans chapter 8 verse 38 and 39 that there's nothing here on this world that can force us to lose uh, this salvation now. Obviously, we can choose, make our own choice to rebel against Him, and that's a whole other situation. But we see in Romans chapter eight, verse thirty-eight. There's no powers or no principality. There's nothing here that can that can force us to lose our salvation. That as long as we're faithful to Him, and, and we and we can remain faithful to Him, that there's no chance that we're going to we're just going to be forced uh, to lose that. And so we're preserved in Jesus. That we can be, remain confident that that he remains faithful, that he, we can have that hope regardless of what's going on in this world. So notice that and he starts out writing about all you know these great and good things, and he says, in verse three, beloved, while I was very diligent to you to write to your to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And so he. I want to talk to you about the good things, these joyful things, the things that a Christian, any Christian would want to talk about. But wait a minute, I find it necessary to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith. So there's problems here. And so he finds it necessary that the, the things that he might not have wanted to talk about, he feels like he, he has to talk about the things. He has to write about these things. And he, and he writes... To exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So, whoever he's writing to, there's problems here. They're obviously they're not contending for the faith in a way in which they ought to. So, it ought to it ought to you know remind us that uh, you know, there's some things as far as doctrine, as far as the gospel. There's some things that are not. The most comfortable thing for us to think to think about to talk about, but notice the severity of those things, and that you have to contend earnestly for the faith. And this faith was once for all delivered to the saints. Going in verse four, we see what the problem is and how big a problem is. And what we're also see going on in verses four and following is it seems as though, at least in my mind, is that there's a divergence here between. Maybe the perception of these ungodly individuals in verse 4 and the reality, the, the spiritual reality and who they really are, at least in God's eyes. And so these ungodly people in verse 4, it says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice here, he says in verse 4, that they have crept in unnoticed. And so you think about, I think about a spy. You know, how do they creep in somewhere? You know, they have, they really don't have any uh, any good plans for the enemy or whatever, but they come in, and how do they do that? They look like them, they talk like them, they adopt the cultures of them, they adopt the beliefs of them. And so these people, I don't, these people are not people who just walk up into a congregation and just say, hey, I'm fixing to, you know, I'm fixing to spew false doctrine. This is not who these people are. These are probably, these are, you know, people that I would think would, would come in with probably good intentions, you know, and they're, and they're probably thinking that, you know, a lot of times they're probably thinking that what they're doing is right. And so these, these are people, these are what we would call good people, nice people. But, Notice the reality of them. It says they crept in unnoticed, but it says they long ago were marked out for this condemnation. And so when you look at that word, it's interesting. The Greek says that they were aforewritten for this condemnation. So long ago God has written. And we go back in the Bible and read about these people that teach this false doctrine, that spread these false doctrine. You know, it's the same thing that happens to them. In the Old, as it is in the New Testament, as far as these people that are teaching and and, and preaching uh, these false teachings, these things that go against God. And so they were long ago marked out for this condemnation. It says that they turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So it seems as though here when it says they turn the grace of God into lewdness that there's... They're using the grace of God for a license to sin. That they, but whatever it may be, is that they are, they're, you know, they think that they're, or they're, they're, they act like they're doing these great things, but it says that they're turning the grace of our God into lewdness. And it says, and they, and they deny the only Lord God or Lord Jesus Christ. So recognize that these people that turn the grace of our Lord, grace of our God, into lewdness. They're also denying the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ought to be paying attention. If we see somebody uh, like that, and then we'll read later on in Jude, some of these characteristics of these individuals. If, if you see people acting like this and doing these things, don't be sitting around saying, well, you know, they're, they're sincere. I shouldn't say nothing about it. No, here's the reality of the situation. They're denying God and Christ. When they're acting like this, when they're doing these things, when they're teaching these things, as well. And so, moving on, we see of these various examples that Jude gives us in verses five and going all the way to verse eleven. And I want to turn to one Corinthians chapter ten, verse eleven and fifteen. One Corinthians chapter ten, verse eleven and fifteen. To so think about all the examples that Jude gives to those that he's writing to. And think about why, why is he doing that? Is he just, you know, what purpose is there? In verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10, it says, uh, Now all of these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for or admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape escape that you may be able to hear. therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. So Paul is writing here through Corinthians he's, he's bringing up these Old Testament examples, Moses, he's you know some of those that were you know they th- that became idolaters, verse eight, uh, some that committed sexual immorality. Verse 9, some that, uh, you know, you know this idea of not letting us uh, tempt Christ. And then in verse 11 he says, these, all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition. These things are not just a, some type of story that we just read for our own pleasure. These things are for our own admonition. We're supposed to take heed to the, these things and Remember that if, if they could do those things or if they could end up in, in that same condemnation, so can we. And this is what Jude is saying here. He says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So I want, you, I want to remind you, you once knew this. God saved the people out of the land of Egypt, but he afterward destroyed those who did not believe so you think about us you think about our salvation and uh seems to me that he's being pretty clear of what he's trying to say here that if we rebel against god if we deny him after we had already after we had already accepted him then he's going to destroy us just like he did those those of of israel at that time in verse 6 it says And the angels who did not keep the proper domain but left their own abode he has reserved everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Uh, other translations will render this verse in slightly different ways, but I like the way the New King James renders it. He Says that the angels did not keep their proper d- domain, and it gives us the idea that it was all. There was already they were already uh, held to a certain standard. That, that they were already set in place. That this was what they were going to do. This was their place. This was their proper domain. But they left it, and they chose to left it. They left their own abode. And because of that, he says, He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So, verse 5, really I think I would sum it up as they rebelled against God. Verse 6, the angels, they rebel against God. And what happens to them? Verse 5, they're destroyed. In verse 6, the angels, they're reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So remember those things. Very severe consequences for those that rebel against God, whether they're people or whether they're even angels. In verse 7 it says, As Solomon and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these had given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So here again, these people, they've given themselves over to sexual immoralities, they've They've gone, uh, you know. They, they've gone after these things which, which ought not to be. So they committed these, uh, you know, grievous sins, and they were destroyed, and the cities around them uh, were destroyed. And it says they are set forth as an example for us, suffering uh, the vengeance of eternal fire. So rebellion, you know, outright sin uh, against God. And in verse eight, he says, likewise, also these dreamers. Uh, "...defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of digni- dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute, brute, brute beast. and these things they corrupt themselves." Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So here, uh, these people it says that they they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. So again, it's that, that they just if there's somebody that's above them, they speak evil of them. If there's anybody that has authority over them, they reject those things. So they are just rebellious people. And there's this story here in verse nine that there's a lot of speculation about what exactly is going on. I just take it literally that some, for some some, time or for you know, something that we don't, there's some story here that we don't have written in the Old Testament that it says here that Michael was contending with the devil about the body of Moses. Now, some people say the body of Moses is Israel. I don't know. I just think that he, they were probably, the devil wanted Moses' body for whatever reason. And we see here that Michael the Archangel was contending with him. The thing about this, you got Michael the Archangel contending with Satan. If there was anybody that needed some insulting, it would probably would have been Satan that he could have, Michael could have just you know said whatever he wanted to, and he would probably would have fit the bill for Satan. But notice what he says, even Michael he would not he did not dare bring against him a reviling accusation. all the things he says he said, the Lord rebuke you." So he's not, you know, and, and, and again, it kind of goes in line with this idea of, of rejecting authority or speaking the evil of dignitaries. Of course, kind of hard to put Satan in those situations, but, you know, noticing the power that Satan had, that, uh, you know, even uh, amongst this, and, and Michael knowing who Satan was, that he wouldn't even bring a reviling accusation against him. And these people that. They, it says here in verse 10 that they speak evil of whatever they do not know. Michael knows who Satan is, and see how Michael treated Satan. Verse 10, it says those, they, they speak evil of things that they don't know. So they're just going to reject these things. They're going to rebel against things. They're going to speak evil of them. And it says, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things that they corrupt themselves. So they're acting like animals, that they're indulging in these things in which they know naturally. And in verse 11... It says that for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So Cain killing Abel, this this he's a murderer. We see uh, Balaam running greedily in the era uh, in, in the era, in in the for profit. In Second Peter, uh, it says that Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness, and so he was willing to really sell out Israel for money. And so here and we'll read a little later on that they you know they basically uh, you know they basically are using these uh, their you know their 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 um, personality or whatever but they they seduce people for advantage and they're using these things for their own profit and it says here that they perished in the rebellion of Kor. go back and read that that was when Kor rebelling against uh, Moses and so here. Uh, we have these great examples that they're, you know, they're they're they they're hate their brethren. They're, they're murderers. They're you know, they're they're you know, they're, they're, they're they love the wages of unrighteousness. They're rebelling against this great authority. And so we can kind of see who these individuals are. And notice. Again, going back to the very beginning of verse four, these people are crept in. Now, notice these may be people that uh, that just look totally looked apart. But we see the reality of them that they are they are of no use to the kingdom that they are that they are they're hateful people uh, they're rejecting authority they're rebelling against God they're denying God. Uh, so there is the reality of these individuals that um, you know that seek to pervert the, the gospel or, or try to teach false doctrine or whatever it may be. Also in verses 12 and 13 we see the list and how Jude describes these individuals. And this is, i listed all these, these characteristics out. It says, These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. There are clouds without water. They're carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the seas, fo- foaming up their own shame, Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So it says that there are spots in love feasts. And, of course, we really don't know what the love feasts are, uh, but apparently these people that were getting together, I think what's going on, it seems as though it was a lot of people, at least from what I understand, that these were just feasts that individuals of the church had to take care of those that are in need. But I don't really know what they are. I don't think it really changes anything as far as doctrine in the church to not know or, or you know, have a you know opinion of what these love feasts are, but it says that there are spots in their love feasts, and they okay. feast with you without fear, uh, serving only themselves. So they're in the midst of you, and they're doing this without fear. They're not even apparently. Th- they're not even. They, they they know that uh, you're, y'all you're not going to do anything about it that they're they're that you're not going to contend with them with their faith and they're just you know they're just completely secure that that um, they can keep on doing these things without any fear of re- repercussions or any type of uh, condemnation on their part and they're and they're serving but notice it says they're serving themselves they're serving only themselves and it says there are clouds without water carried about by the winds late autumn trees without fruit. Why dead, pulled up by the roots so they're clouds without water so you get this picture of these clouds which I'm assuming in that area if you saw clouds and you see you see you're thinking about well they're going to, it's going to bring some rain there's going to be some refreshment here and it says they're clouds without water so they look you know they look good or whatever but they're really of no use they don't have any water they're not going to bring any rain and they're carried about by by wind so you see that they're kind of Think about this idea of these people that are being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So they're being, they're just being pushed around. They're, you know, they're believing things which they ought not to. And they're just, uh, you know, they, if, they, if there's some other doctrine that comes up, they may follow that. And so there's no really foundation, no standard in which they follow. But it says here that they're, they're really uh, not fruitful. It says that they're tre- trees without fruit. Uh, New King James says that they're late autumn trees without fruit. And so you get this idea that autumn, being the time of harvest, they're losing their leaves, but they ought to have some type of fruit. But here it says that they're late autumn trees, so they don't have any leaves or anything like that, but they don't even have any fruit as well. So they're just, what, what use is that? You know, what use is there for them? And it says that they're twice dead pulled up by the roots. And so here again, you see the spiritual condition of these individuals that they're going about you know they're they're eating in this love feast without any fear but notice what they really are this is who they are and so again if 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 we know of individuals that are that are fitting these things that they're teaching false doctrines we ought to realize what the real situation is. They may talk nice, they may act a part of whatever, but again, this is who these are and the necessity for repentance on their, on their part, for them to be converted or to, to be changed and, and, and to really uh, go back to uh, that doctrine of Christ. It says that there are also wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's interesting, that phrase, the blackness of darkness, that's that's reserved for them. So going back to uh, this this judgment that's on the angels, that he is reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And these people, what's reserved for them is the blackness of darkness forever as well. So they're going to be condemned if they don't change it. So they're wandering stars, they're wandering clouds carried about by winds. In verse 14, it says, Now Enoch... The seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So here we see Enoch prophesying here uh, that the Lord's going to come with the saints. And notice the times the many times that Enoch uh, says ungodly. He says that they're convict all those who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So they're not going to escape judgment. That That these people are ungodly individuals, they're doing ungodly things and God's coming to execute judgment on all of these individuals. Going on to verses uh, 16 uh, through, through 19, we see uh, you know, really uh, some more descriptions of these, of these people, of these apostates. And it says that they are grumblers, they are complainers, they are walking according to their own lust. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before uh, by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there will be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause division, not having the Spirit. So on the right here, I have the description of these people here in those few verses. And then compare those to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. So, you know, they're grumblers and complainers. And so it doesn't seem like they're... It doesn't seem like those would be people that you really want to spend a whole lot of time around. It doesn't seem like they're, they're always complaining, they're always grumbling about something. Every, there's always something that needs to be changed for them. But notice what we see here that, uh, you know, fruit of the Spirit is patience, kindness, goodness. Now these people, they walk according to, to their lusts. Fruit of the Spirit here is self-control. They flatter people. They're mockers. Again, you think about this love, and kindness towards one another, goodness towards one another, <laughs> sensual peace people again. Fruit of the spirit here: self-control, and then don't have the spirit. And of course, fruit of fruit of spirit. Think about faithfulness, love, all of those things. And so, these people, I think, you can pretty see that the they don't they don't have this fruit of the spirit. That they are contrary to. You know, they're totally contrary to uh, really what's, what's, uh, what's expected of them uh, by God. And so the thing here is if we, if we think we're falling into one of those categories, we better be changing. And if we see individuals that are acting like this, realize that what, what Jude is talking about in verse 16, this is just a continuation of all the, what's been talking about previously. So notice again, These people have to change, that they are, they can expect condemnation if they don't change and if they don't repent. But it says here, uh, going going on to verse uh, 20, uh, we have some instructions on how to keep ourselves in the love of God. It says in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, uh, keep yourselves in love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So here we have, you know, part of this of, you know, keeping ourselves in love of God, that we uh, build ourselves up on the most holy faith. So we're edifying ourselves, we're edifying one another. Also another thing, while it's important that we, uh, that we come and meet uh, together as well, that's where the edi- part, partly where that edification occurs that we build ourselves up on this most holy faith, we're also we're praying in the Holy Spirit as well. And notice uh, the importance of prayer. We can read a lot about that in the Scriptures. First Thessalonians five seventeen says, Pray without ceasing. And so these things, and when we're looking at that, we think about the sanctification and prayer, that these things help us to grow in our relationship to God, get closer uh, with Him. And we also, you know, looking part of that in verse twenty-one says, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That we are, uh, you know, the, that hope that we have of eternal life, and that we ought, ought to always be uh, looking for, and it helps us to keep ourselves and the love of God. So we know how to do that. And Jude going back into verse one, he talks about our common salvation, the greatness of those things. But we also ought to continue in those in, in that faith. And we also ought to build ourselves and keep ourselves in that faith. Going on to those who are in error, we talked a little bit about these people. They, they've got to change. They've got to repent. And in verse t- uh, 22 and 23, we see that Jew... Uh, Toward you that, the, and, and really what we see throughout the Scriptures is there's that we know that these people ought to change and we ought to be doing something about it, but there's not a clear-cut answer. There's not a one-size-fits-all way in how to deal, to deal with people that are in error. He says, And all some have compassion making a distinction, but others say with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment, uh, defiled by the flesh. So some of those you have compassion on you. Uh, best way I could say it would probably deal a little bit more lightly, deal more softly with those with those individuals. And so these are may have been somebody that's um, you know they may have been ignorant uh, with something. I think about maybe a that they're you know uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They're going to deal a little bit differently with him. Then probably what they would with the Pharisees or the Sadducees, these people that all not that that they they see what's going on, they know what's going on, and they just choose to rebel against those things. And so there's some that you have compassion on, but others say with fear pulling them out of the fire. So you have this picture here is like it's urgent, and you snatching them up. It's not. It's, it's very. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but it's, you're not being very soft and compa- or not as compassionate with them. That you're, I mean, you're being very blunt with these individuals. That you're really, you know, you're and it probably maybe a little harsh on these individuals to try to save him, and that's the purpose of that. Did you save them with fear? And he says you're hating the garment uh, defiled uh, by the flesh, and so these people. And so there's there's, there's two categories. Some you may deal a little softly with, or uh, a little bit more compassionate with, and there's some that you're not going to do that. You're going to save them uh, with fear. That you're going to be very, uh, you're going to be very uh, to the point, very blunt with these individuals. And there's not going to be, doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of sugarcoating the truth uh, with these uh, particular individuals. And so we see that there's a, and when we look at that. I think, again, the question would be is, well, which individual fits that category? And I think that's where a little discernment comes into, a little little turn, you know, we turn our own brains on and think about, well, what is the best way to handle this individual? And I think it, you know, we think about the circumstances surrounding, uh, you know, each uh, person, and I think that can help us to, um, to, uh, you know, really decide which way we're going to handle this. And sometimes if... The person doesn't respond when you have compassion. You, you may be you may want to think about uh, trying a different way, being more blunt with them, being more uh, to the point with these individuals. But moving on to verses 24 and 25, it says, "Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding with exceeding joy." to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, domin- dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. These, at least in my mind, these last couple of verses gives us, a, I think, a good uh, little snapshot of God's character, who God is and what God is willing to do uh, for us. And it says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. So he, God can keep you from stumbling. Uh, remember that uh, God's not going to, that, there, that there's not going to be any type of sin or temptation Which we cannot remove ourselves from God's not going to allow us to be tempted Beyond what we are able to bear And so he's going to show us the way out If we're willing to follow that way So he's able to keep us from stumbling He can present you faultless uh, Before the presence of his glory And so again, tying that back up to in in, in Jude verse 1, this idea of being sanctified, being made holy, being made clean, that he can present us faultless before the presence of his glory. So uh, remember that as well. Also, he's to God our Savior. Again, he's our Savior through him and only through him. That is how we can have our salvation. And in verse 25 it says, Who alone is wise? And so again, his wisdom you think about the plan that he has set up for us uh the salvation that we can have and think about the wisdom that's involved with all that and you think about the timing uh when he reveals jesus to uh the world and uh you know i don't think it could have came at a better time and so all those things you can see the wisdom in that the wisdom of his plan uh the wisdom of his commands for us as well and so i hope that um hope you remember those things or remember uh really the great things that god has done and i like the way how jude ends that that he he starts off talking about this common salvation and he ends up talking about who god is the power that god has how god can prevent us uh, from from ever uh being like these individuals that jews talked about and so i think that's useful for us and i hope that it's been i hope that you learned something from this i hope that uh Maybe if you've uh seen something here that you've uh that some of these uh some of how Jew uh describes these apostates, maybe that's you. Maybe maybe you are acting in the same manner as these people. And we would certainly like if that's the case, we'd certainly again urge you to repent and uh to be made right with God. If you are not a Christian, uh we again we see uh, this great common salvation that everyone can have. And so we certainly would like to uh, talk with you about those things and uh, we'd certainly like for you to uh, become a Christian. And so if there's any way for, for us that uh, we can help, uh, if you need to come forward and confess the saints or for whatever reason, c- confess, confess, sin to, uh, confess uh, some things to the saints, uh, we'd certainly like for you to come forward now as we stand and as we sing. Will you come? Things are ready, come Come to the feet.